Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. The Black Keys are the last rock and roll band to really matter. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but if you can think of another rock band that broke out this decade with songs you couldn't escape and big arena shows, let me know. When they first came out in the early 2000s, their gritty blues sound was wild. You could have told me some of those songs were lost relics from the 50s and I would have believed it. Their sound really did develop a lot by the time they hit big with songs like Tighten Up and Howlin' For You. Now, after a five-year break, they have new music. They stopped by Shangri-La to catch up with Rick Rubin the day after launching their tour in L.A. to talk about the new record, Things in the music industry that pissed them off, and to play some unreleased songs. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. Here's Rick's conversation with the Black Keys. Listening to anything good? You know, I was in France for uh, the whole month of July. How was it? Too long, but I found this radio station over there. It was like the most eclectic mix of music I've heard in a long time. What was the station called again? It's called Radio Nova. Oh, I've it, listened to Radio Nova. Yeah, so there's, there's like playlists you can find stuff, but it's nationwide. It's yeah. terrestrial, but it's nation, yeah. It's like yeah. across the whole, all France. And yeah. I mean... You could listen to it live on TuneIn yeah, Radio. you can listen to it live on TuneIn. Yeah. But I never heard of it. I mean, I've been in France a bunch. You've been in France a bunch, I'm sure. You said, but I yeah. hear the same. Like, this is better music curation than I've heard anywhere on, on any streaming platform on any radio station. I'm in France and I'm hearing all this American music for the first time and, and I, it just boggled my mind. And I, you know, Dan and I both have these shows on Sirius Radio and I, I mean, I, I don't know why because honestly, we don't get paid <laughs> and we, we're curating an hour of music a month or whatever and um, I turn it on and I'm just perpetually let down by like what's played on the spectrum. I'm listening to the spectrum it's a, or XMU. It's supposed to be like kind of cutting edge channels where they're playing new music and I, I heard i keep hearing you too on the spectrum and it's like man fuck that and i don't get anything i want from it and where do I, you look i don't even know where to look i haven't found one thing at pitchfork that that made me interested in in probably five years but i still check it like every couple of days the platform doesn't exist 
or if it does exist, it hasn't got to me, you know? So I, that's, that's a major problem. I think that I, Dan and I talk about this all the time. How do, what could we do? What could our friends all do that would be, it, it would help prop up stuff we're interested in? Well, I look at stuff. It sounds I, like there's a, a void. There's a to huge be void, filled, so <laughs> massive void. Maybe that's an opportunity well, for you guys to do something. It is it. massive void. People like people don't you know. It's like we sit around here, listen, uh, music obsessed, but we let these dipshits like dictate what the fuck is being talked about. You know what I mean? Like there's no one that knows more about music than than probably you. You know, and Dan. I mean, and what we're not fucking. You know, we're giving our playlist to the spectrum or xmu and at the end of the day like they're still just playing radiohead songs 15 times a day or or u2 songs or, or whatever and it's not i i had a record that i was really proud of that i produced and co-wrote that what is the you know wasn't a keys album obviously and i basically you know asked spectrum to like consider adding this thing to their playlist and they're the fucking they they after five years of volunteer service to their ass, they're like, "Well, the the the, the Instagram, the metrics don't really add up." I, I think you know, there's a little bit of numbers. The numbers aren't there yet. I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker! Like, who the fuck are you to tell me what the fuck numbers are? You you were fucking communications neighbor major from Purdue. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing here, dictating this shit, man? I wouldn't like buy a fucking shirt from you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously, and this guy's dictating what we all listen to across the whole country? This guy, Chris Muckley, he's like dictates the whole fucking channel. It's like, who the fuck is this guy? Where did he come from? And why the fuck isn't he listening to my ass? I've, I've been in the back of a van for 20 years. Listen to me, motherfucker. I care about this shit. You know what I mean? That's like, I know what Kanye would meant when he said that shit. Because like, I give a fuck. Yeah. I had enough Wendy's to fucking care. You know what I mean? <laughs> I put my fucking intestines through the fucking ringer <laughs> for rock and roll. For I, rock and roll. Always, listen to what I care about. I've always gotten the best suggestions of music to listen to from musicians, never from anyone else. It's always from artists. It's not from Instagram uh, stats. It's not from anywhere but art. Artists always <laughs> just, like I just said, what are you listening to? Chances are you're listening to something better than anyone who's telling me what to listen to. Sure. <laughs> I agree. Every time I've heard anything that's like changed my perception of something that's come from an artist. Dan, what are you angry about? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start? I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. It's, just fr it's frustrating, you know? Sure, yeah. It's fucking frustrating. No, I, I feel you. It's hard to find music nowadays. I agree. How long has it been since you've toured? Uh, five years since we toured the U.S., Wow. And last night was the first show? And good vibe? Yeah, it was a little, we had some issues, some some ticket issues, but other than that, we had some scalpers screwing our fans last night. Yeah, but, some people um, got royally fucked last night. Yeah. We intentionally did a show that was a $25 ticket just for fans, and scalpers had tickets for $800. Wow. And they were fake. They, wow. People were coming to the to the box office with fake tickets that they paid $800 for. Wow. We kept the tickets cheap as possible. It made the news. Like, there were hundreds of people out in front wow. of the wheel turn. Wow. Um, really upset. It was such a bummer because it, our intention was to do one for the fans. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. sucks when... It's a it's a weird fucking time out there because we kept the tickets cheap. Um, Could you do another show for all the people with the fake tickets? Fuck that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, fuck it. I mean, like, this is the problem. I mean, we kept the tickets at $25. It yeah. was clearly stated on the tickets that they're non-transferable. And some people tried to sold them for $800, $600. That's the whole, that's the reason why our tickets on this concert, this tour right now, like the, the cheapest tickets, like 50 bucks. And they go all the way up to 500 And the reason is because on the last tour, we, we kept the tickets much cheaper, but they kept getting fucking scalped. And so we would go play a show. The, an equal amount of money that we made was made by scalpers. Scalpers are making as much money as us by fucking the fans. You know? There's a lot of issues with the music industry. And the thing is, is the person that actually has to, that actually gets fucked the most is the fan and the artist, you know, which is ironic because it's, that's the most direct, natural relationship in the music business. Um, it was it was amazing though last night. The energy was high and. How, what's the show like now? I, once upon a time, 
It was a two-piece group. Yeah. How, what's the show like now? It's the two of us plus three other people. We have two guitars and a bass. And um, For the whole show? whole show, yeah. And um, we play songs from every record. You know, I mean, even when we were doing two-piece records, we were always overdubbing. I would, I would always overdub, overdub bass and yeah, yeah. second guitars and stuff, yeah, yeah. double-up guitar parts. Yeah, yeah. It's cool as shit now to be able to hear those old songs with like three guitars doing one riff. It's mm -hmm. awesome. It almost sounds more like the old records than we ever did, which is kind of fun. From the first album to now, what was the progression of the band mm. from, from your perspective? Well, the, the, I'm the, I'm you got to understand I'm that this is not like a normal okay. band. This is like not a normal band, you know, because like we started playing when we were 16 and 17. Yeah. Before we were a band, you know, and we were, we learned how to play together. So, so you've been playing together forever. I, forever. I, it's, there was a, this is the first band I've ever been in. It's incredible. I found the other day, about six months ago, probably the first jam we ever recorded. Wow. It's on my phone. I can play it for you later. Let's yeah, hear. and it was, we it. always recorded our song because that's what was so much fun was... The recording part. That's what we were into. Pat, I, the first time I ever saw a four-track was at Pat's house. Wow. So the beginnings of the Black Keys were recording. And we got a record deal before we ever played a show just because we were making recordings and we sent it to some labels and they gave us a deal yeah like the, the 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 foundation of the band is really that we grew up we grew up literally four or five houses from each other dan's a year older than me and our brothers were like best friends i was older at, brothers younger brothers but at one point our brothers like you guys should get together and jam you guys should get together and jam and one day dan brought his guitar down to my house and i had this drum set because I, I bought like all the instruments so you need to have a band, uh, hoping that people would come over to my house so I could be in a band playing guitar. But Dan came down and just like started playing. I was like, oh shit, like I guess I'm playing drums because he's so good at guitar. So what year was this? That was like 96, 97. And we recorded, I think this is one of those. Let's recordings. hear it, let's hear it. I'm going to play this song. Yeah, yeah, please. It's six minutes long, so I'm just going to... Just I play might, a snippet, man. I'll play a snippet. I'm just going to go... It's six minutes. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm going to start it. I'm going to start it a minute in. You sound exactly the same. I know. When I heard it, I was like, holy shit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's the same. Nothing changed. It's exactly the same. Isn't that insane? Yeah. That's from day one, does that even... Without communicating about <laughs> what we were so going to do. It's so funny. This <laughs> is what happened. It's like that's our, the, that literally sounded like us. Keys. You could have said that was us last night. It could have been, and I would have believed it. And it would have been like, great. what is that audience been, recording? Wow, they're great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they killed it last night. I wonder what your dad was thinking when he that was like is hearing it. So us. funny. I mean, my dad's very encouraging. We were fucking getting out there. What the fuck were we doing? Dude, that six minutes of us banging on just propane like tanks a, and riffing on the same thing. Like, definitely listen to all six minutes. Uh, that was like a, <laughs> it's good. I've listened to it. Tranced out. What the hell? I, Rick, just because uh, I just want you to hear this one thing. We've never played this for anybody. Yeah. I won't play a second of it. Okay. Okay. This is. Um, if anything, you're getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting worse. There's some really weird shit on this thing, but this is our demo, right? This is yeah. the so the day that Dan, <coughs> I think you only ever get worse. <coughs> this is the day that uh, that we that Dan was gonna I was gonna record his band and they never showed up and we we made this recording. This is the the first song on our demo that we sent out that got us a record deal. That's the, incredible. You know what's incredible about that is this is no bullshit. We did six songs that day in an hour and a half. Yeah. And I had, we had never played them together. I had never played drums in the pre previous year and a half. And we instantly had arrangements, instantly figured out all this shit we were going to do. <laughs> Drum beats. I mean, it's fucking crazy. And when we, I took these recordings we made, and I sat and like did these mixes. And I remember taking the CDR over to Dan's house like a week or two weeks later, and he called me. I left a message on my machine or something like later that day. Like, basically, he's like, we just got to start a fucking band. <laughs> like, this is fucking crazy. And I was like, yeah, we fucking do. And I called my brother. I was like, make a cover, a, a record cover, so we could mail this thing out. And 
Yeah, we were ready to make a record. We named the band right, right then. You made a record. It was yeah. incredible. And we it's named incredible. Dan, think what should we call the band? I think there's a mutual friend that we had, a mutual acquaintance, this outsider artist guy who used to call people Black Keys. I was like, we got to call it the Black Keys. He's like, it's the Black Keys. It was instant. Boom, boom, boom. Within like two weeks of doing that, we had made a demo we, where we made a cover. We Dan mailed them out to like 18 labels. And within two weeks of that, we had record deal. This small little label in Burbank. And it, since that, right then, I told my dad, like, drop out of school, make this record. And my dad actually came into, I was working at a restaurant. My dad came in to the restaurant with my grandfather. And my grandfather had a PhD. He means very educated. And I told him, I was like, I'm drop out of school. And my dad's like, you, uh, you gotta, oh, you shouldn't. And my grandfather's like, yeah, you should do that. Give it a year or two. And I was like, Psh, there you go. There we are. But yeah, so then that, the, the history of the band is we made this record, the big come up in my, in my basement. We would get together every day from like 10 to 3. And then I had to go to work and Dan had to go play bars. And we made this record and then we put the record out and we learned we had to go on tour for people to hear it. And we just got in a van with my brother Mike tagged along and we, we went around the country. We went out every weekend. We got all... Offered a Sleater Kinney tour, we offered a Beck tour, we got signed to Fat Possum. We so then around that, around that first record, uh, before we signed to Fat Possum, we kind of had we had Seymour Stein coming out to our shows, and we had people kind of like really interested. And this is the time of like when the White Stripes first hit, you know, and Hives and Strokes, and we were kind of in that wave, you know. And yeah. um, everybody was looking for the next everyone was looking for it, and so we had we were like sitting there. Talk, talking to Seymour had Stein. You guys, had you guys heard all that music, or were you sort of just doing your own thing? Man, we had heard, like, Do-Rag, all the Fat Possum stuff. The Strokes record came out right after we made this. It came out, like, September. After you made the demo. After we made the demo. But no, man, we I, I didn't hear, like, the Hives or the White Stripes until Fell in Love with a Girl or whatever that Hive single had... The, in two thousand summer two thousand two, that stuff was really going on MTV, yeah. mm-hmm. and I heard that's when I was like, man, like this, there's a there's a wave of shit happening. There's that band that kind of disappeared, the Vines. Yeah, I remember but, them. Yeah, but around that time, so we were getting we were we were getting calls from Seymour Stein on you know on our waiting around the answering machine. Like this is like, I remember reading the story of Devo. I think like, we're like living the same reality that Devo did twenty years ago, in like the same city. And here, here we are getting calls from Seymour Stein, who wanted to sign us. And he's like, we're, "I'm going to send a contract your way. What's the best address?" We're, we're, and he's like, "It's going to be there by November 1st." And November 1st came, and it didn't count, you know, n- nothing. And after, by November, I think it was like November 20th, no contract. And I called him. He's like, "I can't get anything moving. Like they're not sending it. What the fuck?" And as Dan and I got together, I was like, "If we sign to this label, they can't even get us a contract. Yeah. We're never going to make another record." We might get a couple hundred grand that we can spend on, or a hundred grand or something, but... It was the right move. Nothing we, happened with Seymour's. We label. made the hardest decision, but it was like a no-brainer for us, which is like, instead of waiting around for this big check, this signed to Fat Possum for $12,000. And make a record. And make a record. Yeah. And so we went into my basement and we recorded a record in one day. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, Fat Possum, those were our biggest heroes. Those were our heroes. Big, we were yeah, trying I mean, to get on Fat Possum on the demo. Yeah, yeah we hadn't heard of, the, of any of the Detroit bands. We didn't know of any of the, I've never heard of the Gories, but we were listening to T-Model Ford hard. Robert Belfour, mm-hmm. R.L., Junior Kimbrough, Captain uh, Haskell Atkins, you know. We were going. We were going to see those shows. It was it wasn't just old records. And it, it was, was like local. real. It was local. Also, John Spencer you know Blues I mean? Explosion was yeah. a major thing. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I I got a cassette tape of Orange by yeah. the John Spencer Blues Explosion, and that really helped me yeah. understand the Black Keys better when we were starting. In fact, when I listened to that, demo, I still think Russell like, Simmons is one of my favorite drummers. Russell ever. Simmons is the, probably one of the is maybe the best living drummer. <laughs> Hell yeah. He, he there is. You go. Yeah. I mean, him and Jeremiah Green from Honest Mouse are the two best drummers, rock and roll drummers. That's a statement. We'll be back with more from the Black Keys. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with the Apple Pay purchases. 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with the Black Keys. So you did the first album. We did the first album, then we, uh, and then once we decided to sign the Fat Possum, we made a second record in a day. And instantly. I, I was... This is pre-internet, so I was. Dan came over. We recorded this thing. The next day, I would make a mix. I would burn a CD. I would drive it over to Dan's house. I buy, I would drive home, and he would come back. Turn the guitar down. And I do it. And I go back. Like, turn the guitar back up. Boom, 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 boom. I have a stack of these things. It's all in a day. I was like I just boom, 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 boom. And I FedExed it that night. It's like boom, Fed. And oh, my brother Mike and I went to Kmart. And bought some royal crown hair pomade. Took a picture of my hand dipping in it. It was like all done in a day. It's like boom, fucking records done. And that's how we. Fuck, that was our mo. We just fucking moved like that, you know. And we made our third record in a rubber factory in Akron. Just when we learned how to make records together, we were learning how it all worked. The first, in fact, the first three records. I don't think we we never even had a compressor. We just didn't even know that that was a thing. And did the first three records have many overdubs or not really? They had a few overdubs, yeah. Yeah, like the first, even the first record had some, had overdubs, mm -hmm. bass and tambourine. Did you record vocals live or was that done after? Mostly they'd be live, right? Vocals were mostly live. How did yeah. you do it with vocals and drums live or were you in a separate room? We were in the same room. Same room, they just bled. That, that was part of the sound, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the vocal mic was part, big part of the drum sound. Yeah, it was like yeah. a little bit. Of, you know, actually, when we first started, uh, there was a third guy. When we very first started, like that that demo, you can hear there's an organ just holding like one E chord or whatever. <laughs> and our friend Gabe, who we grew up with, uh, was hanging around a lot. With I was hanging out with him a lot, and um, he was in the band. He was on the cover of the demo, even. Uh, and then... It came time to make the big come up. We we're making that record, and he just kept missing practices. And he didn't have a car, so we'd had to go pick him up and find him. And one day, he missed a, he missed like the third 
day in a row. He's actually on the first record on a couple of songs. He missed like the third or fourth day in a row. And I called him and I said, dude, what the fuck? You're going to blow it. This is like a thing. This is a good opportunity. He's like, I don't want, I don't give a fuck about it. And I'm like, you're done. You're out. Fine. And I kicked him out. Uh, it was kind of up to me because he was like closer to me, but he was our friend. Hmm. But I think that that, if we hadn't have done that, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah. Absolutely would not have worked. Dan would have packed up and walked away <laughs> after that first tour. And uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm still in touch with Gabe. And yeah. He, during, he had during, a band called Gap Dream that was on Burger. During the time that you were, you were working and you were playing in bars at night, what were you playing in a cover band? or what was... I was basically doing, I was playing three-hour sets in coffee houses and bars, restaurants. Solo? Solo, as a duo, whatever they needed. I would just sort of... Musician uh, for hire. Yeah, basically, yeah. And I, that's what I was recording, some band demos so that I could get band gigs at places like bars in Kent, stuff like that. So that's why I contacted Pat in the first place. Hmm. We ended up... Uh... But yeah, no, that's... I was playing three-hour gigs um, four nights a week. And that was really good. Mostly blues? Blues, folk, Sam Cooke just songs I liked, you know? Um, most of the time, people weren't even listening. You know, sometimes it'd be- Acoustic really... guitar? Depended. Yeah. If I was playing like a brunch, I'd play acoustic. Yeah. I mean, he, Dan yeah. was really good. I, I remember going to see him and being like, yeah, man, I'm fucking lucky to be in a band with this motherfucker. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a certain thing, you know? I mean- that's But a... doing, the, doing the thing with Pat was different. Like, I, I was making really good money as a musician. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I was- he had like a he had like a new car. Yeah, I bought myself a nice minivan yeah. to gig in, and um, but doing an, an original project is just different. Yeah, and well, I was we, totally willing to go play bars in Cleveland for five dollars. Yeah, also that was being a musician, and this was being an artist. Yeah, what yeah. we did to get this to get it going so we could go on tour was, I I would actually play a couple of these like brunch gigs with him, just like. <laughs> barely touching the uh, you know yeah. not <laughs> it was more like dan just being like yeah i'll split this money with you just so we can get this shit going and i was like okay well I'll, you can help me mow lawns and i'll split that with you too so he would be out there weed whacking that's when i found out i was allergic to fresh grass yeah. clippings i yeah we were we were out there mowing lawns but we pat only had to work in the in the hood <laughs> so <laughs> most of the job was just like clearing the yard of 40 ounce bottles it was picking up like 40s, and, and that was a long... I mean, the guy was a slumlord. And I say that, and like people are like, oh, don't be an asshole. I'm like, well, seriously, like all this shit just got condemned and got sued by the city of Akron for not paying taxes. We looked after his places. But he did. He did, he did, <laughs> he did pay me $180 a week uh, to mow like these postage stamp yards that were just littered with like Colt 45 caps and abandoned lots and that was the minivan that we used to do shows in so it always smelled like gasoline like gasoline from the lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like I, I you know thinking about all of the shit that we've been through is is kind of it's in fucking intense but you know, i i do ultimately think that the the long way from the south of france well, well yeah everyone's like, everyone's always like everyone's like i went on vacation this summer south of france and I, everyone like our label president was like i was like i said i was like oh yeah i think i like south of france more than uh uh tuscany he's like and i sound like an asshole yeah <laughs> but i was like but to be fair like 20 years of doing this shit i go to fucking france for a couple months a couple absolutely weeks. hell yeah but um i think that we i mean i think that some of some of the simplest decisions are the things that got that make it so that we're able to sit here 18 years into this and talk to you and w one of them is kicking Gabe out of the band yeah <laughs> uh, that was the first and, and, decision and, and, and don't forget i mean i love this guy you know yes. what i mean i do but it was the fucking first great decision yeah. second great decision signing to fat possum yes and and you realize that Dan and i had a, a an agreement basically without an unspoken agreement that we would both put up with this shit we basically signed up for like four years of remedial 
fucking rock and roll work <laughs> right then we're like we're gonna go to fucking pay our dues yeah but that led us to the fact that we by the we didn't hit like mainstream success till our sixth record yeah which i think is the other great decision great yeah, accident yeah, yeah. which is because if we would have had that shit on our second record we would have imploded yes. we saw it happen like the first time we played a real a real a real gig and I mean, we played la before this but the first time we had a real gig here we where people were going to come out just to see us was at the at the time it was called the not the satellite I forget whatever it's called the satellite it's in Silver Lake but we were it was our our record release party for for Thick Freakness and the opening band was Jet no one had ever heard of them we never heard of them and within within weeks they were like on the cover of NME they were selling they sold millions of albums they were headlining and, all the festivals that we were just doing the noon slots we too. were playing like the small tent they were headlining and within a year of that that was april 8th of 2003 by summer sonic or whatever uh fuji rock august of 2004 we saw those guys one year in like three months those dudes were burned out they were fucking done and we saw that happen a band go from nothing to the fucking biggest thing to then talk to them and then like fucking flamed out flamed out we're like fuck, man, and we're like fuck. We dodged that fucking bullet, and we kept dodging. We, we, we then Wolf Mother was opening up for us in London that that fall, fall of two thousand four, and boom, same shit. We're like fucking like we're like basically human like centipede like do dodging <laughs> this shit like like how the fuck are we still doing human this? Incredible. Yeah, it's like a human centipede to that fucking scary German uh, movie. I, I guess what I meant is we're we're uh, we're like. Uh, <laughs> Missile command of this motherfucker. Like, you know, we've always fuck? we've always just done what we wanted to do. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah. By the sixth record, yeah. we'd made five records on our own, yeah. and we wanted to record in a fucking studio for yeah. let's, for one. Let's fill in the so the first three you said were pretty similar in the way you did it. The first what, four. four, first four, and then what? What made five different? Five was that we were writing songs that were going to be an Ike Turner comeback record, uh, uh, or Ike Turner record. The whole that, al the whole album the whole you album. did with the concept your internal concept that was unspoken. No, no it was spoken because Danger Mouse called us and said, "I'm making a record with Ike Turner. You guys write the songs. You guys are the band. I'm gonna produce." I see. So we would go to dance. We this is the first so time before we were, Brian learned about songwriting royalties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would go to dance and make. We recorded. We we basically it's the last time we really made demos for an album. We, yeah. We basically made all these songs, and um, we, after like two months of doing this, we finally get we got like two or three songs back. Last time or first time? I, I'm saying like we, it's the last time, and it's probably the first time. No, but I'm saying it sounds like up till then you didn't really do our demos. demos are our, all our records. Yeah, yeah so I guess yeah. it is our first time. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first time you recorded something that was not necessarily going to be your record. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So we took the exactly so. We, we we were waiting for this record to get done, and yes. it was months and months of waiting, and we were like, we can't sit around and wait for this shit. And yeah. I, I actually flew out to L.A. Uh, we met Brian at Coachella that April of 2007, and I flew out here for like a weekend vacation in May, and I met up with Brian. And without even asking Dan, I was like, would you produce a record for us? Not the, and scrap this idea, take these songs and make a Keys record. He's like, I would I would love to do that. And I called Dan, I was like, do you, can we do this? Do you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do that. So Dan picked the studio. We did a record with Brian, Attack and Release. And the, the whole concept was that we were going to approach that record for the first time with total disregard of how we were going to perform the songs live. So we were going to get to use all these keyboards that we had bought and we are going to get to like not be afraid to make a baseline prominent in a mix all that kind of bullshit that we should have this is the fifth album it's our fifth album release. yeah and that then dan put out a solo record after that we made and then we got back in the studio and made this hip-hop record which we were kind of focusing on cutting stuff like bass and drums and it was kind of more groove oriented you know like yeah it was fun we it was for for the first time we were starting with bass and drums and it changed the dynamic, changed, but, it was, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And we went right from that. That was July of 2009. So you would, you would write 
a bass and drum track and then play, and then add guitar to it. Mm-hmm. And add some melody and guitar. I um, see. But we did that in, in like June, July, two thousand nine. We in were, all, in all songs, does do the does the track come first and then the vocal ideas? Sometimes it's simultaneous. Yeah. Sometimes we were, I, I've always got a vocal mic there to to try stuff. But we from working that way, we also booked we booked time at Muscle Shoals, and we had this engineer from San Diego, Mark Neal, come out in, in August. Of Mark Neal's this really eccentric dude from uh, Georgia, um, highly intelligent, um, knows everything there is to know about old school recording, especially old school American recording. And um, he engineered all the stuff for us down there in Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. The drums, and we used his drums. He had beautiful Gretsch drums. Oh, yeah. And he only used like two or three mics on, on the drum kit. Awesome. And what did you record at Muscle Shoals? What was it? Brothers. Brothers. Uh, August of 2009, right after the hip hop record, we went down there, and I, I think thinking of in terms of like the, these hip hop kind of grooves, I mean, we were pumping out songs a day, a song a day. So you went into the studio without having material pre-written, right? It wasn't anything. There were we actually had a couple songs that were we recorded a couple weeks earlier at Dance Studio, that those actually those versions all made the record. Like she's long gone. The ones from Dance Studio. The ones that were we did at Dance Studio, we just kept those recordings. Yeah, we were yeah. just basically in the same headspace. So. We just we were like li- literally like, it was a weird thing because we took this six months off for the first time in two thousand nine. I was like, I mean, I was like, but that was after like ten years. It was after like six, seven, eight years. But I, I, I was like, I don't know what this means. Dan's making a solo record. I need to be worried. Like, and then finally, I was like, no, he just needs to do his own thing. Yeah. And then it's like when we got back together, it was like we were. We were better than we were before. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I fast forward to right now for a second. Like, I feel like last night's show was probably better than any show we've played a long time ago. I'm like, the break works, but we we made brothers in like in like ten days. We fucking end up this record. I'm like, and you know, songs like Ten Cent Pistol or Sinister Kid. Or, these things are like heavy fucking grooves, unlike anything we'd done before. And are you still operating with the idea of of uh, doesn't matter if you can play it live? Yeah. Did it shift on the fifth album to just be that's the new standard? On uh, that touring, that fifth album was where it got a little hairy. Where like some of these songs just yeah didn't really work like as a two piece. So when did you add? When did you start adding people on the brothers tour? The first time we ever played was a four piece was at Madison Square Garden opening for Pearl Jam. We'd never played. We didn't do any warm up. <laughs> it was like. Right out in front of twenty thousand people, you know. Like how a bunch was that of, show? Do you remember how how the show was? It was fine. <laughs> I don't remember. I you know what I remember? I remember that. I remember the whole fucking place shaking backstage. Remember that when the crowd started to to go crazy yeah. for Pearl Jam. Our, it was the same day our record came out. That's what I remember. Brothers came out and we played Madison Square Garden, and then it was like a week later we go to dinner at Cafe Jeton with the label. And like you know, very New York City thing to do. And uh, there is nothing like your first show at Madison Square Garden, though. That's a real thrilling feeling. Well, to be there with Pearl Jam. I mean, it was, it was what the, it was all overshadowed for me because of this dinner we had a week later, which was like our label president was like, "You sold seventy three thousand records," and the, I was like, "What the fuck? Are you, are you serious?" I mean, we were our previous record had sold like twenty. And I hear seventy three thousand. I was like, "What does that mean?" Like, ah, I don't know. People like it. And then the next week, it sold like fifty more. And we're yeah. like, "Fuck!" About a month or two months later, it was still selling like twelve thousand copies a week. I was like, "Well, we have like a fucking hit record. We have like a fucking actual hit record. We had no radio play at this point." And then the song started playing at radio, and it was like, "Fucking hell! What the fuck just happened? This is how and this it works. is album six. This is album six. I was like, this is it. We're like, we have a." F- <laughs> We have a fucking gold record. We have a fucking platinum record. We're playing the SNL. We're headlining fucking Coachella. We're you know, like all this shit just kind of started rolling. And it, that, for me, it's just like a smear. Yeah. 2010 to the time we play Outside Lands in 2015. Yeah. We that we play that show and we just on break. Wow. Four years. Wow. Till last night. Wow. We got to, we got back in the studio a year so ago. Eight year build up. 
<laughs> eight year sort of yeah working your way up yeah and then a, a solid five year run how many yeah. albums so brothers and what's after brothers brothers el camino turn blue so three albums and big tours each one of those records sold in the u.s well brothers and el camino over two million in the u.s i mean we sold like seven million records worldwide on yeah. those records yeah and then once again without really even talking to each other we just went on a break it there was no big plan it was just sort it of was a, a, it was just not it was like dan needed a break yeah, yeah. I, and i was like cool and it, you know and we did it and then i you know there's points in that time of where i was getting frustrated like just like because it just didn't know what was happening but you were producing other pro you were both producing we were, other we projects. were both busy yeah mm -hmm. it was more like we finally had this talk it was like, it was like i was like understood like oh yeah dan just needs to do what he's got to do yeah all good and this band is special enough that like we can't be doing it if it sucks like for one of us like if, if it can't be doing it if it's stressful and it's not fun yeah so the whole year we get, we went back in the studio a year ago to start this record and the whole part of the time we've been talking is just like how do we do this do this band so it's fun and so so we don't have to do 95 shows a year and play the at spike tv video game awards and all this <laughs> dumb shit that people ask you to do yeah. it's like that doesn't that's a that's a waste of my day someone's willing to flush my day and not just that day like the day getting there the day yeah. going home just flush a whole fucking week down the toilet to play spike tv video game awards you know what i mean it's like that's not what we're doing it's like so actually that's why we figured out a plan that i think has been working which is like don't even look at sound scan yeah don't fucking bundle anything. Yes. Play shows that yes. are fun. Make records that are fun. Yes. And the only press. Bring our old friends out to play with us. Bring People our friends that we've out. known for 20 years. It's beautiful. And we're the only press we're really doing is like we did, we're doing your podcast. We did the Joe Rogan podcast. Great. We did a couple of interviews and that that's fucking right. It's an album cycle for perfect. us. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. It sounds really healthy and it sounds like yeah. it'll be fun to make music. You'll probably make more of it and you'll do it for a longer time. That's the idea. And enjoy life. I think the, the other the, the other step. <laughs> Imagine to it, that the yeah. the other step to it is like figuring out that thing that we started this conversation with, which is how we could use our agency yeah. in the business yeah. to highlight other artists, which we've been trying to do for years. I mean, Dan and I, between the two of us, have have worked on something like sixty albums. Wow! And no one knows that. Yeah, you know, I was like, that's I talking to our manager. Like, that's a bit of a problem for us. Like when the the person standing in the front of the show last night doesn't know one-tenth of the music that Dan and I have made over the last 18 years. Yeah. And there's some good shit in there. Yeah. But it, it, it applies to all of our friends in the music business who make records. And no one fucking knows. It's hard because it's hard to discover it. Yeah. So I think that we're going to try to, rather than spend, you know, 150 days on the road, try to spend like, you know, 50 days on the road and spend 100 days at home figuring out how to fix that. That's great. Yeah. Beautiful. When we come back, Rick talks to the Black Keys about some of their new songs. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more of Rick's conversation with the Black Keys. Beautiful. Let's listen to a couple of songs on the new album. Do you want to um, sure. play, play, play some and then we'll talk about them? So tell me the process. How'd that one come about? That one came about, we... Uh, Pat brought a drum machine over, and it um, it, it did a little. Uh, you could kind of manipulate the drum machine, and uh, but it also had a little kind of bass line that it did, like a little rhythm bass. You know what I mean? And it had a little foot controller that would change major or minor. Um, no, it, yeah, you could. Is that what it was? Yeah. And then that- I was playing bass with it, and I was changing major or minor, and Pat was manipulating the drum machine. Yeah, we both. I've I found this drum machine on Reverb, which is like a website. It's like kind of like eBay for musical instruments. That is kind of amazing. And uh, I found this drum machine that I bought because it looks so ridiculous. It's called like an auto orchestra. And uh, I was like, that's just the kind of thing that a song comes out of. Like it's just <laughs> it's just the kind of thing that it will make a fucking great song. So I brought it over to Dan's studio, and I was like. Fuck, Dan has the same fucking drum machine. I've never seen another one. I think like, only other guy crazy enough to buy this shit is Dan. But only he didn't, he was missing the crucial component, which is this keyboard thing. So we hooked it up. I mean, that song kind of came out within like an hour, like the, the music. And that's the only song that has any sort of synth, synthetic uh, uh, sound. You know, yeah. everything else is organic, real bass, real guitar. There's no keyboards on the record except for that little pad and then when did the vocal idea come uh that 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 was all afterwards i mean it was just that song so you, started you as built just the track base you built it you know what i played it from the start to the bottom without an edit i just made we just made it yeah it just popped right out i had the intro yeah and then the this is this feels like verse it feels like second verse here's my turnaround and i'm just thinking and playing and it's just a live take. And then I just started to layer the instruments on it and it, it just kind of popped in there. So cool. Yeah. You wanna play one of the live, more live tracks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one, I'm gonna play this one just cause it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorites on the record, but I don't know if anybody else even likes it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, here we go. Under, it's called Under the Gun. How'd that one happen? Guitar and drums. Guitar and drums and vocal. And just through jamming? Yeah. It just arrived? Oh, yeah. Um, we had this turn. Dan just played the, this kind of kinksy. It reminded me of the kinks. But actually, I think, it, I don't know, it reminds me of a few different things. But it, it just was, to me, 
it was a, it kind of complicated the song because it, to me it was such a hook that we at one point we had it like 15 times in the song <laughs> and then we kind of cut it back i still don't i, I don't know I, I love it i i think it's one of those things where it's like it's the it's the second to last song on the record yeah. and you can just go to prove that most people don't listen to the whole album. So if that was the first song that probably would have been, to me, it would have been a single. Cool. I think. I mean, I play, I sent it to our our, our our person that does radio. I was like, I think that, check that out, might be a good single. And I, no, no response. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know, man. What the fuck do we know? Thanks to Dan and Patrick of the Black Keys for spending time with us at Broken Record. Their new album, Let's Rock, is out now. You can check out more of the new record by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com and subscribing to our playlist for the episode. You can also sign up for our behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel. Our theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Leonard Cohen's son, Adam, as he talks about his late father's new album. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.